You are listening to the KPMG Insurance Insights 360 podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Nicholson. Today, I am joined by Laura Gray, KPMG principal and the leader of our U.S. actuarial practice, and Phil Jacobs, also one of our principals at KPMG and the leader of our U.S. insurance tax practice. Hello, and thank you both for joining me today. Hey, Sierra, how are you doing? Great to talk to you. So today, we're going to talk about solvency and capital. Laura, if we look at the industry through the lens of being in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, is it too early to make a statement that characterizes the solvency of the industry? Uh, Sierra, I do think we're at a very early stage in understanding how this crisis is going to impact the industry. Uh, it's likely to impact different sectors in different ways, and it's likely to be different across the globe in terms of, of the, the level of impact. Um, I think we'll start seeing some signs of how it's going to play out over the next six months, and a lot of that will depend on on how quick a recovery that we have, as well as um, how much support the industry gets from the various regulatory bodies across the globe, and, and, and as well as how much um, the regulators also expect the insurers to pick up potential additional claims that they didn't originally price into their products. So, so yeah, definitely early days. A lot of a lot of factors that we're going to be watching and, and indicators that that are on our radar. Um, and hope we'll we'll definitely have a better picture three to six months from now on on the the longer term impact. Uh, Sierra, I would I would say uh, you know, from my perspective, I, I would completely agree with Laura that it, that it is too early. Uh, and, and from a tax perspective, I think the thing that we're most focused on now, rather than solvency. Uh, or capital is liquidity. Uh, that um, you know the provisions in the recently enacted CARES Act um, and a lot of the thinking that our companies are doing right now is is trying to make sure that there is enough liquidity uh, in the system to uh, uh, to take care of uh, operational needs. So that, that that's that's the way I would see the the critical issue at this point um, from from the tax perspective. And in in light of the considerations that both of you just just laid out. Laura, is there one message that you would offer today that you feel is really critical for insurers to hear? Uh, in in terms of a critical message, in terms of preparedness, Sarah, I think what I would point to is um, make sure companies as insur as an insurer that you are thinking about all, a whole range of different scenarios that could come down the pike, both long term, short term, immediate term run through what your response as, a, as an insurer would be to those different scenarios and, and understand the different triggers of those actions in response to those scenarios so that you have a, a full game plan that, that you can um, work from as, um, as actual events begin to unfold instead of having to scramble when something occurs. Have, having that playbook ready, I think, will help companies react more appropriately and, and, and more quickly without having, say, a knee-jerk reaction um, to something with, that they haven't had a chance to think through yet. And what do you think about, you know, the idea of doing a, a solvency risk assessment? So, so definitely solvency is one of those scenarios and understanding your scenario, solvency position is, is a critical part of that preparedness. 
uh, companies already today should be calculating their um, risk-based capital on a on a probably at least a quarterly basis. Where where I think a lot of companies are today, though, is updating and upgrading those capabilities in terms of um, estimating what their solvency ratios are likely to be under a whole range of scenarios and understanding how the, that could could move through through. Um, throughout the cycles that, that, that we might experience and begin to be able to plan for um, how they might need to be addressed any lower capital ratios that they, they might um, expect to occur should certain trigger events occur. Got it. Uh, and Phil, you know, Laura mentioned that there are a lot of levers that can be pulled, some different scenarios to consider. If we're thinking about insurers, you know, examining risk, finance, tax, should these things be considered separately? Uh, uh, no, um, you know, it's it's got to be a holistic review, Sierra. Um, you know, it, it's all intertwined uh, when you really get, get into it and start looking through the numbers. You can't really uh, think about uh, tax by itself or uh, risk by itself. Um, for example, uh, tax is an element of, of many of the solvency ratio calculations. Uh, for example, uh, deferred taxes uh, and deferred tax assets, um, including the ability to carry back losses in the current environment to, to, to uh, generate refunds of, of cash taxes paid in prior years. Uh, that, that ability to, to generate liquidity or to, and, and to, to monetize deferred assets that's a factor of your capital, and it's a factor in your in your solvency ratios. So that, that's just one example uh, of how intertwined uh, these factors are. Uh, so that it really does require a a holistic review, as opposed to uh, thinking about things uh, one at a time and in, in silos. Uh, it's got to be it's got to be done together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Phil. So let's let's talk a little bit about interaction with the with the regulators. So, Laura, how can insurers prepare for any regulatory scrutiny around their solvency ratio? So, so as I think through specific to solvency, I think that will come from the regulators' questions around uh, the sensitivities I talked about earlier. So being prepared for those questions involves having those scenarios at the ready, having had um, your, your modeling prepared, having run the scenarios and being able to share those when the regulator asks for information on your, um, on your sensitivities, on your capital sensitivities. I think additionally, another area to be thinking about is um, we're seeing some early signs of regulators potentially requesting or requiring insurers to cover certain uh, risks that they might not have priced into their business that 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 definitely has come up, especially in um, the area of business interruption insurance. And so, beginning to think through those potential requests or impacts on your business, should you have to take on additional uh, uh, payments that you weren't anticipating, and and flow those through your capital uh, models as well, so that you can better articulate to the regulators the potential impact on your your um, solvency from making those additional requirements so that you can have a, a, a better conversation with them about those requirements because ultimately insurers that that don't survive the the regulators and the the, the requirements around supporting 
uh, and ensure that it, it doesn't remain solvent, there, there is certain burden that will come back to the to the regulators themselves uh, should they push them into a position um, where their solvency is called into question. Laura, you touched on something there that I want to dig into just a little bit deeper. Are, are you expecting to see premium pricing increases as a result of this? Not across the board for the insurance industry. I think what we need to watch is on a sector-by-sector -sector basis and understand how these new and emerging risks are impacting the insurance companies, where those risks look like they're going to be more permanent risks. I would expect um, that to be factored into pricing in the long term. Um, if, if more coverage is required by the regulators to be incorporated in, definitely would expect price increases if, if, um, if those risks aren't currently factored in. Uh, but insurers have been dealing with uh, some of these risks for a while now. Low interest rate environment that we, we've had for, for a decade or more isn't new in and of itself. It definitely has become more extreme. Um, the, the wild card right now is, is the mortality risk that in life insurers are facing, and, and, and um, we'll see how that plays out over the next few months. But that is not necessarily going to be a long-term risk um, for the industry. I, it, I see that, at least for the moment, as a short-term risk um, that we're dealing with. Yeah, Laura, it's interesting. I was uh, part of a conversation the other day when you talk about the, the the, the low prevailing interest rate environment, and, uh, and it has gotten worse um, here recently. Um, the conversation was around whether or not that would prompt insurance companies to to begin to uh, put put more pressure on on premium increases, uh, just given the fact that uh, the net investment income line in the income statement is going to be under pressure so so dramatically here for for some extended period of time. But that that could be a factor that that could help um, to to uh, to harden harden some pricing, particularly in the lines of business that you were just describing. Yeah, no, I I think that's right, Phil. And the other the other area that we could see changing is more changes in the product product design themselves. So um, I think back to the financial crisis of two thousand eight, and we saw a lot of variable annuity writers de-risk their portfolios, meaning they redesigned some of the benefits they were offering to take out some of the risk that they were taking on. So here with the low interest rate, we could see the types of products being offered begin to change over time so that, that insurers begin to take on less of that risk and, and uh, keep that risk with, um, with the insureds versus taking on that risk. Otherwise, the price could be prohibitively high for some some types of products. Phil, I, I want to ask you a couple questions on the on the tax front. So can you talk a little bit about the the role of tax in reducing the cost of capital? Uh, sure. So um, you know from, from a cost of capital perspective, um, you know companies will look to um, reduce the cost as much as possible by by maximizing uh, to the extent permissible under regulatory constraints uh, the amount of debt that they uh, they're able to issue uh, and 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 that uh, of course um, raises the possibility of, of getting a, dedu a deduction for the interest expense associated with that debt and uh, and that also will lead tax folks to think about the jurisdiction 
the location uh, of where where the debt issuance is made. Um, you know, a, a higher higher rate jurisdiction will provide uh, more benefit for the interest expense than a lower tax jurisdiction. Uh, so as as the um, the companies are thinking about their capital structure, the capital stack, uh, tax tax does play a role um, in making sure that the uh, the after tax cost of capital um, is is uh, is optimized. Um, and 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 when you get into uh, the rating agency uh, capital um, and, and regulatory capital considerations, for example, tax can play a role um, in um, in the development uh, of hybrid uh, hybrid instruments. So. Uh, uh, for example, uh, instruments that uh, that have certain deferral features in the event that solvency ratios drop below uh, below certain thresholds, um, you know that 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 kind of an instrument can provide uh, capital in some of the rating agency buckets or regulatory uh, uh, buckets of capital, um, and can and can provide capital, but at the same time be treated as debt for tax purposes, um, with the result that you you get a deductible interest expense on it. So. Uh, those those sorts of those sorts of hybrid instruments, I think, uh, can be really really important parts of, of the capital stack of the company, um, and, and they and they're most effective because of the role that tax can play there in in, uh, in making sure that uh, you know it's, it's the the instrument is creating both a, a a capital benefit as well as getting a tax benefit. Yeah, and Phil, you know, you mentioned um, the rating agencies there, Laura. You know, if we think about capital insolvency as it relates to the rating agency's focus, what are you expecting to happen on that front? So, so the, the rating agencies I, at the moment are have not focused in yet on specific insurance companies that I'm aware of. What we're beginning to see over the last week is a couple of the large, um, the large um, entities begin to change their outlook on the insurance sector. I believe a couple of the, the agencies have changed their outlook on the life insurance sector from stable to negative as, as a sector perspective. Um, what I would expect from here is them um, begin to triage which companies that they begin to look at more specifically, uh, focusing in on those companies that are viewed as having higher risk than others whether that be the interest rate exposure or credit risk exposure or, or um, high pandemic risk exposure, uh, and begin asking more questions, getting more information from those companies, and considering whether to downgrade, um, downgrade those, those entities. I'd say that as a whole, the, the insurance industry has been viewed as positive up until this point um, and, and viewed as having come through the last... Uh, crisis very well with with no insolvencies coming out of 2008 uh, and they've adapted well uh, it's been challenging to adapt to the low interest rate environment but they have been doing that and, and generally the insurance industry is well capitalized but but the crisis I, I would um, expect will will highlight some weaknesses from in a few companies and and the agencies are going to be focused on trying to differentiate between those that, that continue to manage well the risks in, in, their, um, in their book of business and those that have more challenge with that. Phil, any final thoughts before we close today? No, I, I just, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, Sierra, to, to, to talk with you and Laura about this. Um, 
you know, uh, I, I really find this this whole area to be fascinating. Um, you know, you've got regulatory and rating agency regimes, uh, and you've got tax regimes around the world, and, and they're different. Um, and, and trying to, to, to land on the right spot for an organization does require an interactive process um, with, with the finance, the risk, the capital, and the tax folks to, to ensure that um, you're, you're not overloaded in, in, in benefits in one of those regimes uh, at the cost of uh, some, some, some benefits in the other regime. You've got to balance it out, and, and it's got to be, as we said earlier, a holistic uh, a holistic project to bring all of those 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 sets of expertise together. I think it's it's a really really critical part of a part of the insurance uh, operation. It's some some of the most interesting issues that that, that I deal with, and and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about that today with uh, with you both. Yeah, I would echo that as well, Sierra. That that in addition, the insurance industry is, is a critical part of our um, economy, or the world economy, and and the smooth operation of of the industry is really critical for our recovery and and, and eventual growth as well. So, um, I, I see it as a really important um, effort to make sure that that the industry is. Um, stays as strong as possible and that we we support the, the the safety and soundness of the insurance sector as a whole. I think a lot of our listeners probably agree with that sentiment, Laura. Laura, Phil, thank you so much for joining me today and thanks for sharing your thoughts and perspectives and I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to the KPMG Insurance Insights 360 podcast. For more insights, visit listen.kpmg.us slash insurance insights 360.